Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast, this time looking at Mid-South Wrestling Television from January 8th, 1982, taped on January 5th, 1982 at the Irish McNeil Boys Club in Shreveport, Louisiana. I am the great Brian Last, and joining me on this journey, as he does each and every week, you know him, you love him, from booking the territory. Mike Mills. Mike, how are you today? You're ready for 1983. I'm ready for 1983, and I want to point out something, because we've been talking about this for over a year now. I have a little side note for us. We're into 1983, as you just said, and Hank is to the left of the hard camera in the main shot. He is not in row one, but we've been on Hank watch for a little over a year now, so I had to bring that up, Brian, and point out that uh, that Hank is Hank made it to 1983. We'll have to Keep an eye on him and see how long he makes it into 1983, because neither of us remember. I don't think he makes it into 1984, but I guess time will tell. We'll see what we find out. But there's a lot to go over on this episode. It really is a packed episode, and Bill Watts is on fire this week. Let's start it off right now with the open of the show, and we'll talk about it on the other side. I'm your host, Boyd Pearson. We have a lot of exciting action as we see the return of Dr. Death, Steve Williams. Also, Captain Redneck Dick Murdoch is here. Kamala, the Ugandan warrior. Also, from H&H Enterprises, the great Kabuki will appear. Mid-South Tag Team Champions Ted DiBiase and Matt Bourne. And listen to this, Mr. Racing 2 in the ring against gorgeous Gino Hernandez. A great card. We have a great guest commentator, Cowboy Bill Watts. Bill? Well, thank you, Boyd. It's great to be back. And you know, I just received a call from the junkyard dog. And the end of January and his loser leave suspension is up and I guess you could look at uh, several things I'd like to say what a great tag team he and Stagger Lee would be I'm sure Ted DiBiase won't agree with me but it's coming around the corner another thing on Christmas night in Dallas Texas Kerry Von Erich was in a cage match for the world's title with Ric Flair and you know a lot of times and places people think that certain wrestlers change their personality I don't believe a wrestler can change his personality. I believe he is what he is. And, you know, I wrestled against the Freebirds with Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts, and I never liked him. Michael Hayes was the kind of guy that I wanted to slap his face, and I don't think I'd ever gotten tired of it. I think if his daddy had done it, he wouldn't pout so much, let his hair grow so long and fine. He just was a little bit confused, I think, as to whether he wanted to look like a man or a woman. Well, in Christmas night in Dallas, he proved his true colors and cost Kerry Von Erich the possible world's title. And we hope to have, within two weeks, a film clip from Dallas showing you. But like I say, I think sometimes these guys try to pull the wool over the fans' eyes, but they just can't. Another man who's never changed, who's always been the same because that's he is what he is, is wrestling too. And when you threaten him or try to tear his identity down or his respect down, he reacts with a lot of power and violence. And let's, Reeser Biden was asking him about that incident that happened here two weeks ago. Well, let's stop it there, Mike. There's a whole lot to go over. First of all, the JYD called Bill Watts. He's coming back. It's weird when it first happens, 90 days seems like a really long time. As you're in that final month, it seems like it's gone by pretty quickly. It was like a blink of an eye. I mean, you don't even realize it. And that's probably good because maybe you're thinking, wow, they've done so much and had they've had a few things go on since then that it kind of uh, made it go quicker. And you didn't feel the absence. The other thing about that, too, and, and I guess this is because we've had Stagger Lee here. It's, it went quick, but it 
probably feels quicker because he basically was there the whole time as Thagger Lee. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that has something to do with it? Maybe. It certainly took the sting off. Obviously, after week one, you thought, oh, my God, the world has ended. The JYD is gone. Bill Watts sounded like he was going to cry on the air. And then, of course, we've seen Stagger Lee and the plight of Ted DiBiase and trying to prove that it's Stagger Lee and everything in between. Another thing that Bill Watts talks about here, Mike, is the Christmas night in Dallas, Christmas 82, Kerry Von Erich versus Ric Flair cage match, Michael Hayes as the referee, famous night where Terry Gordy slams the cage door onto Kerry Von Erich's head, starting off the Freebird Von Erich feud, launching the Dallas territory into a stratosphere it had never been before, and really going off on Michael Hayes here. What, what did you think of this? I thought this is Bill Watts at his best and what he always does. He's done, he did this about DiBiase. You know, if you remember when DiBiase turned heel, he's like, oh, yeah, if his daddy would have would have spanked him and, uh, you know, would have taught him a lesson when he was a kid, maybe he wouldn't have been like this. I felt like he kind of threw that, you know, same vitriol at Hayes, but he also went a little step further. He, he basically called, I don't, I don't know if he was like trying to insinuate he was a, you know, homosexual or whatnot, but did you hear him when he commented about his hair? You know, he doesn't know if he wants to be a, a male or what with that long hair, that sissy, you know, it, it's just, <laughs> quintess, it's quintessential Bill Watts. You know, you know what, you know what I'm trying to get at. I don't know if I'm articulating it well, but that's, it's Bill Watts being Bill Watts. You know what I mean? This episode is quintessential Bill Watts. This episode is like alpha Bill Watts. And this is a great example of it. Like, if he had a, if he had a father at home who cared about him, he would have slapped him and told him not to pout and grow his hair so long. What does that have to do with anything? Boyd Pierce <laughs> doesn't flinch. Boyd is looking at him and he looks to Boyd for like approval. And Boyd's just like, uh-huh. <laughs> okay whatever you want to say cowboy what does this have to do with anything happening in mid-south wrestling nothing i mean that, that, that's one of the interesting things why is he talking about this here was it because it was such a big deal in dallas that you couldn't avoid it you had to mention it was he planning on doing more obviously fritz was a partner with him in several cities why exactly is the mention here we really don't know but it just causes watts to go off on michael hayes a little bit here so uh funny stuff <laughs> Sissy. He loves that word sissy, man. I mean, he just does. And we're going to see it that with Cornette in the years to come. But uh, he loves that word sissy. But I had to point that out because that's just Bill Watts being Bill Watts right there going off on Hayes. He just spits it out. Sissy. Sissy. Right. <laughs> just, you can imagine him calling someone out like, hey, you sissy. You know, like, he looks like the kind of guy that would say it. And he is. He is the well, guy that would say it. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's funny. He like I didn't I never put this together until this exact moment, but he's he never called DiBiase a sissy, but he brings up the fact that DiBiase wasn't spanked properly and probably wasn't dealt with properly as a kid. Because he didn't cut have his hair. That. If he let his hair yeah. grow, he'd be a sissy. Well, so he he's he's going off on DiBiase because he wasn't disciplined right. He's doing the same thing with Hayes, and he's gonna do the same thing with Cornette. Like, you know, oh, mama's boy never had anybody uh, slap him around in the, you know, in the shape. And look what it look what it did to him. A spoiled brat, a sissy. You know, it's it's like the same narrative for all three of the guys, except all three of those guys are different people. That's what I find. That's what I find really funny about that. You know, Boyd, it's like I say at home, my son, Joel, he likes to rock and roll. But because I beat him, he doesn't grow his hair. That's how you parent. <laughs> Where is that blithering <laughs> idiot? He probably said that, too. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> well, the other thing that Bill Watts set up here, Mike, 
is Mr. Wrestling 2. There's been so much going on, the harassment over the last several weeks. And of course, he was supposed to be in that big tag team match the week before. Actually, I was about to say the week before, but there was the, the year in review episode last week. So two weeks ago on the show, technically. And I'm not going to sum it up anymore because Reeser Bowden's here and he says everything that happened in his Reeser Bowden way. It's almost like a wrestling Mr. Rogers. This is the tone I will speak to the audience in and they will get everything I am saying. And you know, honestly, everything he says does hit because he says it that way, but it is certainly a different pace than anyone else in the history of wrestling. Let's go to this right now. Reeser Bowden with Mr. Wrestling 2. Well, a lot of very exciting things have been happening recently in Mid-South Wrestling, particularly in the last couple of weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, Tony Torres came into the ring to wrestle Kamala, the Ugandan warrior, and he was wearing a black and white mask very similar to the one worn by Mr. Wrestling 2. This upset Mr. Wrestling 2, and he came into the ring, uh, consequently losing his composure, and there was quite a scuffle going on, and he was, he was doing fine until other things began to happen and was disabled, thereby was not able to fulfill a contract later on on this card in which he was to team up with Stagger Lee in a title match for the Mid-South Tag Team Championships. Consequently, uh, Mr. Olympia took his place, and this was a deal where the well, loser of the, the fall had to leave town. town. And, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, Olympia lost the match because of my stupidity, you might say, because I lost my temper, went out there and dove right into Kamala and the rest of them. And I'd, I think I pretty well hold, held my own at the, under the circumstances. And as I was going for the mask of uh, that uh, safari uh, jerk, uh, Kamala came down on me and, and disabled me. But, you know, I'll tell you something. When a man starts fooling with my mask, I've worked too hard and too long to build up the reputation that I have. And I'm very proud to be Mr. Wrestling. When somebody tries to put Mr. Wrestling down, they're trying to put me down. And I'm not going to stand for that no matter what. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those unfortunate things. I'm, I apologize to the people, and I hope I can rectify it. Well, of course, Mr. Wrestling, too, has been on edge recently because of a lot of threats and uh, defacing of property and so forth. But I'd like to find out, have there been any threats and defacing of property since that time? No, there hasn't been. Uh, that kind of tells me something right there. There hasn't been any threats lately. Uh, I don't know what the, the purpose of uh, the thing was to begin with, but nevertheless, like I said before, when anybody, I don't care who he is, where he comes from, when he starts messing with my family, my personal property, he's going to pay, and pay, pay dearly. Kamala and the other two jerks he got stand beside him, I haven't finished with you yet. You can be sure of that. Well, it's quite possible that it hasn't come to an end yet. Wait and see. Well, Wrestling 2 is not an eloquent speaker in a grandiose manner. He just plain spoken, and he made an understatement that Kamala Akbar and Kamala's man Friday, he's not through with them. And I think everybody that was here and saw that two weeks ago, he whipped all three of them until he got too involved in taking off Friday or whatever his name is, mask. But Wrestling 2 is not through with them. Another powerful young man. Mr. USA, Tony Atlas, let's relive when he did a bench press with repetitions at 500 pounds, came back with no rest period at all, and did 550 pounds at a 240-pound body weight. And the man that was spotting the weights was a junkyard dog, and Stagger Lee was on the scene. Let's look at that. Well, let's stop it right there, Mike. And like Bill Watts said, we go to a replay of, it's been months now, I guess three months almost, because Stagger Lee uh, had just debuted of Tony Atlas bench pressing with JYD and Staggerly spotting him. But 
this Mr. Wrestling 2 interview. First of all, I love that he calls Friday that safari jerk. And secondly, just some little bits of uh, information there that he feels bad that him getting injured meant that Mr. Olympia had to fill in for him last week and now he's gone. Since that time, no more harassment, you know, so that's a good thing. But there's a lot going on. There's a lot of people after Mr. Wrestling 2 right now, Mike. Yeah, I, I laughed, too, at the line about uh, Kim calling Friday a safari jerk. And it's it's interesting how, you know, two mentions, there's there's been no threats as of lately, but he's still got his eyes open. And his eyes are specifically peeled towards Kamala and Akbar. And it's like they really want us to believe it's Kamala and Akbar who are are a part of this whole mask hunting thing. And and uh, two says he's not done with them. So very, very interested in interview. And I like how Watts talked there. He's like, you know, two's not a man who's long on words. I don't know if the exact word that, that wasn't the exact words he used. But you know what I mean? He's like, you know, he's not a man who really says a lot. But when he gets fired up, he does. And. You know, two two's real subtle there, but he he's letting us know. Look, man, I'm 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 not done with this. I'm I'm still going after uh, these two guys because he really believes they're the ones behind all this thing. You know, he he does also. You heard him at the beginning. He has remorse for what has happened to Mister Olympia because now Olympia, uh, we're led to believe he's going to be gone for ninety days. Well, coming out of the replay of the Tony Atlas bench pressing Mike, and I guess that's partly used because Tony wasn't on this taping. We get a return. Steve, Dr. Death Williams is back to begin 1983 against Tom Renesto Jr. with Jerry Usher as the referee. No Alfred Neely on this TV taping, the first of 1983. Let's hear a little bit from the Cowboy about one of his favorites, Dr. Death. Jerry Usher, the referee, calls for the bell. Here's Bill Watts. Well, it's great to have the doc back. He's fresh out of the Fiesta Bowl, and the tape on the right hand, he cracked his wrist in that game. He played the whole second half and part of the first half with a cracked wrist. And uh, Doc is just one of those guys that he doesn't make excuses. He goes out and gives it his all. He had a good year this year. And uh, he's looking forward to the road draft. And uh, we're looking forward to him hopefully staying with wrestling. I know that's all he loves. So he'll probably be doing both. Look at that headlock right over onto his back. And Tom Ernesto Jr. is in a lot of trouble with a man 285, 295 pounds. You know, Mike, one thing that I noticed right away is it's the same match Dr. Death was having in, I guess it would have been the summertime when he was there briefly in 1982, when he had just been trained. Same match where he rushes the guy in the corner, there's an arm drag, tackles him, he takes him down. He re- like, it's the same match he was having before he left. It's almost like you're looking at my notes because I, I literally wrote down I thought Dr. Death looked about the exact same as he did in summer of 1982 before he went back to football for the fall of 82. Like, I literally have those notes related to the match he's having right now. And I agree. I think it is. I don't think there's much difference. And they they kept it very simple. I mean, it is just, it's just a TV tape. And so, I mean, it's not like they're going to get too elaborate uh, with this thing with him against uh, Tom Ernesto. I mean, he's not in there against a, I don't want to, just no disrespect to Ernesto, but he's not in there against uh, some type of bona fide star. So I agree. Same match. Looks about the same. Uh, and that's pretty much what I had from him. Maybe his weight's a little different. I don't know. He looks like he might have been a little little smaller here. I can't really tell. I'd have to do a side-by-side comparison, but he definitely looks the same, Brian. He's shaggier. His hair is longer. His sh- Yeah, he's, his hair is longer, and he's got a blue pony singlet on, not a Oklahoma singlet. Like he had the, I think he had the Oklahoma singlet or he had a maroon or burgundy yeah. singlet 
uh, back in the summer. I don't know if it was Oklahoma. I don't know. I think about it, but it definitely was maroon. We mentioned before that this episode is quintessential Bill Watts. Here's an example of it. What could be more Bill Watts than running into a football player at the airport? Let's hear this. Gets his feet out. We want to welcome some children from the Evergreen Vocational School in Mendel, Louisiana, here at the television taping at the Irish McNeil Boys Club tonight. Talking football, I was very proud to meet Roger Carr in the airport the other day. Roger was coming back home from playing his last game for the season with the Seattle Seahawks. Great athlete from Louisiana Tech, played the same school as Terry Bradshaw, and of course he's now a nine-year veteran of the NFL. And uh, the interesting thing, I was talking to him and his children as Roger grew up and spent a lot of time in Seminole and Shawnee, Oklahoma. And I asked him how he escaped and got down here to Louisiana from, from the colleges in Oklahoma. But he'd moved down and played Louisiana Tech and great athlete and a, and a fine gentleman. And he had a slight injury to his abdominal wall in his stomach. And I certainly hope by the time he sees this that he's well and doesn't have a hitch in his get-along. One of my favorite things from 1982, Mike. Bill Watts at the airport. Bill Watts talking about flying. Bill Watts is always on the move, and he's always running into interesting people at the airport. Yeah, he's he's like he's always got a story, right, Brian? He's always got a story about uh, rubbing elbows with uh, Bradshaw in this case or whoever else. He's always got a story. <laughs> it's like, yes, it's. I mean, it's Bill Watts. If he and if he doesn't have a story, I gotta go catch a plane. I gotta go meet some people. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I like it even better. It's not just, I saw Roger Carr at the airport. It's, I saw Roger Carr at the airport. He had a great season. We started talking about Oklahoma. <laughs> what is, like, just, I imagine these conversations at the airport. The football player rises, Bill Watts in his cowboy hat. Hey, cowboy Bill Watts, how are you? <laughs> I agree. I, yeah. Well, we talked a little bit, and obviously Dr. Death has this collegiate wrestling background, and we talked a little bit about the singlet he was wearing. Here's a little interesting thing from this episode. Watts is talking about some of the other happenings in the heavyweight division right now. And here's maybe the first ever time this name was mentioned on a wrestling broadcast. I'm not sure, but let's hear this. Steve, Dr. Death Williams, a man that had that name since he was in high school. And I can tell you, Oklahoma sure needs a heavyweight like him this year at the University of Oklahoma. Uh, OSU, uh, the fine team there, has big Mitch Shelton, a 400-pounder. LSU, who's in our area, Louisiana State University, has big John Tenta, a 340-pounder that's a youngster from Canada. But the University of Oklahoma and Stan Abel Sooners don't have a really a super heavyweight, and they miss him. That's that home run punch on the end. Well, there you hear it. The Sooners miss Dr. Death, but John Tenta is in the area. That may be the first mention of John Tenta ever on a wrestling broadcast. I'm not sure, Mike. I'd be willing to bet that's the first time he gets mentioned on a wrestling broadcast. Uh, but then again, who knows? I mean, maybe others out there and maybe Watts got the idea from something else. I don't know. But that's very interesting as you play that and you hear the name John Tenta, because if you're watching in 1982, you just glance over it. But in 2019, your ears perk up and you go, wait, did he just say John Tenta? And you rewind it and listen again. It's like he did. So, yeah, definitely. Interesting. Imagine that matchup. John Tenta versus Steve Dr. Death Williams, 1983. Not in professional wow. wrestling, but actually, like, this, considering their size, I don't know, did they ever actually match up in amateur wrestling? Um, I never heard about it. If they did, I don't know. If they did and it comes out now, I'd, I'd be interested to hear about that because that would be, that would, it's, that's uh, not to take a line from uh, 
that company up north, but that would be a hidden gem in a sense. I mean, that would be like the ultimate hidden gem, not the ultimate hidden gem, but the fact that it's not even a pro wrestling hidden gem. It's a wrestling hidden gem of those two. If there is if there is something out there like that, that'd be interesting. I doubt, man, like, you know, you think you think some pro wrestling footage is rare. Man, imagine amateur wrestling even back then. I mean, they never that stuff comes on ESPN now and and you know, it's covered a lot more than it was back then, now that it was then, but man, I don't ever remember seeing like amateur wrestling on TV unless it was like ABC Wide World of Sports that just happened to air a freaking 5-minute segment. I mean, you you would never see amateur wrestling back then on television. You know what I mean? In a weird way, pro wrestling did more to promote amateur wrestling than anything else I can think of. Especially like something I, like Mid-South Wrestling or Florida Wrestling. They promoted amateur wrestling more than anything. Right. And But, uh, I mean, do you do you remember, like, I don't know if you had access to, like, satellite as a kid and whatnot, and, or, or, and I think you had cable even before me, but, like, I don't ever remember wrestling ever being on, t- and I'm saying wrestling, amateur wrestling ever being covered outside of the occasional ABC Wide World of Sports type thing where a clip was shown. Other than that, you never heard about I, no. I don't ever remember every amateur four wrestling. Years. Every four years for the Olympics, maybe. Right. That's it. That was it. Yeah. No, nothing else. So, you know, to go back to the point you asked, if Tinta and Dr. Death are on some footage somewhere amateur wrestling, imagine how much of a, like, like hidden find that would be. Dr. Death ends up winning with the Oklahoma Stampede. And then we get our next match. It is Dick Murdoch versus Marty Lundy with Rick Ferreira as the referee. This is Murdoch's first match on Mid-South TV since, I think, mid-September. Reeser announces Murdoch, and he's walking out as Marty Lundy attacks Murdoch. So he's literally doing the announcement as he's, like, walking through the ropes, which is pretty funny to see, just calmly walking out as his action's happening. And Murdoch looks so good. I mean, Marty Lundy looks really good. There's one point even where he takes, like, a, a sunset flip, and it's easy to just do that and go over. He's doing so much in the one second he has. Like, he's waving his arms around as he takes it. And Murdoch looks so crisp. His drop kick, the elbow drop in this match. This was really good, and both of these guys looked really good. What did you think, Mike? I did almost the exact same notes. Like, you know, Marty Lundy jumps him going into the ring. But I thought just, like, Murdoch looks really, really good. The crowd reacted to him. I mean, he's coming back. I mean... I didn't realize it had been that long either, September. So, I mean, we're talking, you know, over four months since he's been there. They're finally seeing him again after all that time. You know, I thought Marty Lundy sold for Murdoch very well. I mean, he was selling things. And, you know, but these guys, it was a short match because, again, it's TV. But they got out there and they worked hard against each other. And they they looked good, man. Both of them did. I mean, and, you know, we're still in that era where this is pre, you know, obvious Arn Anderson, Marty Lundy, where I guess we don't realize what he's going to be in not far from now, but he's out there looking good, man. Bumping for Murdoch, making Murdoch look like a million bucks. Watts also says during this match, Mike, that he recently saw Dusty Rhodes in Houston and Dusty wants to reunite the Texas Outlaws. I think the last time we saw Dusty was right when they tried to reunite the Texas Outlaws a year ago in Mid-South Wrestling. Also, and if this wasn't redundant, I would have played the audio. Watts says he saw Lou Holtz from the Arkansas Razorbacks at the Dallas airport. So here's another football personality, this time being, I guess, college football, that Bill Watts ran into randomly at the airport. 
I think it was Phil Allen in my um, podcast's Facebook group who brought up the fact that he didn't know if anybody name drop as much as Bill Watson. This episode brings that even further to light. Phil brought that up a while back when I'm like thinking about it as, as you're saying that. There's, uh, so I'll pose the question to you as we continue this episode. Did anyone in wrestling name drop more uh, than, than Watts uh, during this time period, at least from a commentary standpoint? I know I know we get into years where Dusty name drops a lot, but I mean, from a commentary standpoint, does anybody name drop more, to your knowledge, than Bill Watts? I don't know. That's hard to say. I mean, Jim Ross definitely learned a lot from him. There's one occasion I can think of specific. Gene Okerlund at the war to settle the score, where he just starts naming any celebrity he could see, and it quickly, the list quickly goes down. He goes like, Look who's here! Joe Piscopo! Danny DeVito! Gloria Steinem! Like, it's, just, it's just he's naming anyone he can see from ringside. But other than that, I can't really think of a, of a better or worse, I don't know what way to look at it, name dropper right. than Bill Watts. And, and I guess what I meant was by name dropper, like, I don't want to say weekly basis, but I guess a weekly or even monthly basis. Does, does any commentator drop more names than Watts? It, it feels like no, but, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure. And it's not even like famous people. It's just anyone. It's like, you know, I was talking to matchmaker Grizzly Smith. Like, just even that. Like, he constantly <laughs> says that. Charlie Lay, president of Mid-South Sports, and uh, he just constantly throws names in there. I ran a Lou Holtz in the... Uh... In the airport, and uh, you know, I was running into Barry Switzer the other day. He and I were talking, and uh, we were talking about my airport or by the airport where I uh, keep my Cessna plane. And I don't know, he's just it, it's just why. And you know, the funny part is, he doesn't like you were just talking about how Oakland kind of boisterously was naming names. Watts doesn't like really yell it, he's just casually, yeah, I ran into Lou Holtz. And then uh, I was talking to Terry Bradshaw the other well, day when I ran into well, him well, at the well, Here's an interesting thing I just thought about Watts has his own plane. So it's not like Watts has to transfer planes. You know, Watts, does, Watts doesn't need a layover. Why is he flying to Dallas? What was he doing in Dallas? So obviously something's going on with Fritz and Watts during this period of time. Well, that's true, too. So now you're putting the puzzle, the, the jigsaw puzzle yeah. together to see what's going on and why he's uh, running into certain people at certain times. That's a, that's a good point. I ran into Lou Holtz. I said, Lou, you just missed Roger Carr. He was here a few minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> that's the point. So, so that's what Phil was saying. He's like, it's like, does anybody name drop more than this guy? I mean, it's 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 very comical, and we're having a good time with it because it's so true. And just keep listening. I mean, he's gonna do it. I'm not saying he does it in this episode a hundred more times, but point is, if you just listen to Bill Watts throughout '82, especially, and as we keep going, you're gonna get a lot of that. And you're right. You mentioned Jim Ross, but, you know, Jim Ross learned a lot from Watts, too. So when we think about J.R. saying those things, that's why. Dick Murdoch wins with a brain buster. And one thing I should note here, and I probably should have noted it during the opening match, and that is that the crowd is really hot. We ended the year with the crowd being really down, like just kind of tired and the building looked tired. Watts seemed tired. Watts is up, but the crowd is really energetic this week. Yeah, they are. They they are. And we talked a lot about like uh, why they, they kind of took a dip in 82, even though they did come up for, you know, the, the match where Olympia ends up going home and, and taking a fall. But uh, the, the crowd is definitely into it here this week. It's like um, a renewed excitement. You know, the, the, it's a quote uh, to make fun of a quote that we make fun of a lot on BTT. Uh, new year, new me maybe is uh, going on in the crowd. Who knows? But <laughs> Uh, I, I they, there definitely is a, a a certain level of excitement, and and you know you can you can credit I guess uh, especially in this last match, uh, 
it's something when you see Red, uh, Captain Redneck Nick Murdoch come back to. I mean, he he's a uh, I don't want to call him mainstay, but a popular person in the territory. And you know, like I said, go back to what I was saying a second ago. Marty Lundy, I thought he made him look good. I thought they both looked good in that match, and they were working hard. And I think the crowd appreciated it. Our next match with Jerry Usher as the referee, we get Kamala with General Skandar Akbar and Friday the Safari Jerk versus Art Cruz making his debut here and. He's a guy you would see in Mid-South Wrestling, later the UWF on and off for many years. No real notes here other than a big tease. Bill Watts says on commentary that a lot of people have been wondering, could Andre the Giant beat Kamala? So there's a big tease setting up something for the future. But other than that, I didn't have too many notes other than Kamala wins the usual two splashes on the back of Art Cruz and turns him over. Art Cruz does a good job of selling it while he's getting pinned. Mike, any thoughts or any notes? No, same exact thing, man. He got pinned. The only thing different that we saw in this match that we haven't seen in others is uh, Art Cruz was not made to to wear a mask so that, you know, Kamala could go mask hunting again. Other than that, same thing. uh, Same thing you had. Quick win by Kamala. Well, coming out of that, we're supposed to get our next match, which will be featuring the debut of the great Kabuki here in Mid-South Wrestling. But before the match gets underway, Reeser Bowden has some guys with something to say. Let's go to this right now. Before we get into the introductions for this match, I'm sure that all the wrestling fans would be very interested to know why General Skandor Agbar is here with Gary Hart and the great Kabuki. Well, first of all, I'd like to uh, congratulate Gary Hart on his uh, tremendous campaign, H&H Incorporated, and what a tremendous athlete that uh, the great Kabuki is, how many victories that he's chalked up, uh, Gary. And one of the main reasons that I've asked you to be here tonight is there's four obstacles here in the Mid-South that, so to speak, is a thorn in the general side. When I'm talking about Stagger Lee, Captain Redneck, Dick Murdoch, Mr. Wrestling Number 2, and Tony Big Guns, Atlas. And I was thinking uh, somewhat of a merge, perhaps... Uh, What do you think, Gary? Just let me say this. I have always found you to be the wisest of them all when it comes to dealing with money. You have a lot of money, and you can't find enough ways to spend your money. Anytime you want to put some of that money in my pocket, you will not find that my pockets are sold up. Stuff all you want and whatever you want done, because to me, you are like the bank of the wrestling and I'm going to come collect. And Kamala, absolutely fantastic. Could you imagine what we could put together between you and I? Now we have the answer as to why General Skandor Agbar is here. And to get on with this event... I'll talk to you after a while. Okay, we'll get together before this is over. In the blue corner at 222 pounds from Knoxville, Tennessee, Tim Horner. And at 235 pounds from Singapore, managed by Gary Hart, the great Kabuki. Well, like we said, Mike, a lot going on, and maybe even a lot behind the scenes here. But let's talk about first what's happening here on camera. The great Kabuki, managed by Gary Hart, is in the ring, and Skandar Akbar's there. And it appears that maybe some sort of alliance is forming. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to bring it up. When Gary Hart tells Akbar, whenever you need to spend money for my services, you will not find that my pockets are sewed up. Reese Bowden laughs. He chuckles. He thinks, <laughs> he, 
<laughs> and that's only one time. He raises his eyebrows multiple times. He chuckles. He smirks throughout these two devious managers. Gary Hart, who's got the great Kabuki, and Skandar Akbar, who has got Kamala doing dangerous things in Mid-South. We have the great Reeser Bowden in here deciding to laugh uh, and chuckle and smile while these uh, evil minds meet with each other. So that's on the surface of of what we have here. Now, there's some deeper stuff, obviously, going on. You know, Gary Hart's now in Mid-South uh, uh, due to him leaving world class. And there's some other things going on. But we got We had to point out that Reeser decided it was time to laugh. Yeah, we got a whole lot of Reeser on this episode here. But like you said, there's a lot going on. Gary Hart had been the world-class booker, and he quit after being upset over the payoff for Christmas week. Not just the Christmas show, but I believe Christmas week, he got so mad that he quit. Ken Mantell took over, and here's Gary Hart, Mid-South Wrestling on TV with Kabuki. Maybe seems a little rushed. We'll see where this goes. But like we said, there's a lot going on behind the scenes, and if you really look at the lay of the land, Dallas is there. Watts is around them. Watts is partners with Fritz in several towns. Watts is now a partner in Houston. Houston formerly used the Dallas booking office. So maybe this opens up the relationship with Houston and Dallas a little more than it's been in the last few years. There's a lot happening. And here's Gary Hart trying to figure out his place in this new wrestling world. Yeah, man, it's like like a triangle, man, because you got Houston, you got Mid-South, you got Dallas, there's there's just a lot happening, man. And I loved, um, I think it was like the Heroes of World Class DV. I can't, DVD that I first saw years ago where Gary Hart talked about, you know, basically telling, you know, World Class to, to stick it because he was leaving. He's like, and it, Gary Hart can, he said it in only way, the only way Gary Hart can say it. I wish I had a sound drop of it. He was like, oh, I told him to take the check and stick it up their ass or something. I, I don't think that was exact words, but I'd have to go back and look at it. But I remember him mentioning, you know, the, the, the fact that he felt like he got screwed out of pay. And I think he also brought up at that time as we're talking about that. I want to say like the story was that I first heard that, that the Freebirds are like, well, you know, since Hart brought them in, they were like, well, should we go? And I think according to Hart, I may have the story wrong, but Hart was like, no, 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 you guys stay. You know, y'all got something going good here. And, and the Freebirds do end up staying and and the rest is history regarding that. Is that how you remembered it? That is Gary Hart's story. I've never heard Michael Hayes confirm or deny it. So I'm not not saying it's true or not true. I'm just, I've only heard it from Gary Hart. But after he quit, he says the birds were willing to walk out with him at a loyalty. He brought them in. He's the one who knew them from Georgia. He brought them in. Right. So who knows how true or not true that is? I don't know. It makes me wonder. I I oftentimes wonder, like, if if we would ever get Hayes' side, which, I don't know, Brian, Hayes is a bit of a character himself, um, how much we would, you know, believe. I... Look, I, uh, you never know what wrestlers. I guess we'll just leave it at that. So, does he, even, does he have any good friends? You think that say, "Hey, Michael, let's go ahead and grab a drink. Do me a favor. Leave the zoot suit at home. Hell no. And dress like a man. <laughs> no, that's just the, he's living the gimmick with the stupid suit. That isn't man. the gimmick I like. I, mean, I like Freebird Michael Hayes. Like I liked wannabe David Lee Roth Michael Hayes. And then all of a sudden he became like Dolomite, but like without any of the action. <laughs> like just like Dolomite and dress and nothing else. Not even Dolomite. Dolomite dressed better. I shouldn't even use him as an example. He dresses like a pimp who needs ladies, but doesn't have any. And it, I, I just part of me thinks it's just Michael Hayes has always been a character, even in wrestling. Although in a different way, he obviously didn't dress like that as a wrestler. But part of it's like 
just holding on to, I don't want to say relevance, but just holding on to something to make him look outlandish and stand out. I mean, that's, it feels like it's part of it. I don't know, man. I mean, I'm not Michael Hayes's head, but he, he definitely is. He, let me say this. People talk about it. And maybe that's the whole point of why he wears these pimp suits. And it's not just the pimp suits, man. He got the hat and he, then he puts a fanny pack on that's like matching. He's, he's, he's just out there, man. It's some wild stuff. Whatever you see him and they show pictures of him, man. Well, we've gotten a little off track here. But the match yes, is the great Kabuki versus Tim Horner. Rick Ferreira is the referee. And if you think we're concerned about this Skandar Akbar, Gary Hart stable, here's what Bill Watts thinks about it. Versus the great Kabuki. Well, Bill, things continue to go on that you never would even think of. Well, you got that right, boy. You sit here and you watch and uh, you just see things happening. And in very few words out there, one of the most diabolical things that ever hit Mid-South could possibly have just hatched. Can you imagine? There's the man blowing the green, as they call it, Void. I think you call it the green flame. We don't know what it is. We don't know what it is, but I've had in my past career experience with Gary Hart, and I know he's an unscrupulous, heartless individual. And everybody has watched Skandar Akbar for years. And so Gary Hart's Kabuki, a master of the martial arts, not awesome in power and size like Kamala, with technique, stealth, quickness. And, of course, he's in there against a young man that is extremely fast. Kabuki, uh, Kabuki won't be an overpowering type. He's like a big, huge pillar that you strike with a sword. He'll absorb it, he'll pick his spot, and then he'll attack. Look at that beautiful move. Kick back in, foot sweep underneath. Softens his man up. He takes his time. He's like a cat. Look at that thrust kick. The man's balance is just phenomenal. Gary Hart would not have had the tremendous success he's had with the great Kabuki. And like I say, what an awesome thing if I read the evil intent in their hearts that Kabuki and Kamala teamed up. Well, there you hear it, Mike. A few words from Bill Watts about this whole Kabuki Kamala Akbar Hart stable that could potentially be. I have to say, one note I do have about the match great thrust kicks. Really, really cool thrust kicks from Kabuki. Obviously, he works a lot of the nerve hold stuff. But I thought they gave Tim Horner too much in this match. If it's the first match on TV for Kabuki and you're trying to get him over strong. Yeah, Horner did get a lot, but I also want to give Horner some credit here. You know, you talk about those thrust kicks. They did look good, but you got to give Horner credit because he's he's the one Horner, selling them. And he's funny. I'm not saying like, why did Horner get so much in? Like he sucks. Horner is really good here. He's doing a great job. Yeah. He's like the perfect guy in there out of everyone on the roster to make Kabuki look great. Basically, it's, he's like the baby face side version of Arn Anderson or Marty Lundy. You put Marty Lundy in, in there with any heel and the match is great. Same thing with Tim Horner here on the baby face side, but they gave him too much, especially like deep into the match he got a little bit of a comeback. And I just thought he kind of should have been destroyed a little bit more, but nothing against Tim Horner, his actual work here. He was doing great. Yeah, no, I, I, I know where you're going. Yeah. I know what you meant. Um, I agree. He, he did get a lot. Uh, he got, he got a little offense in the beginning and they gave him some stuff in the middle. Uh, but, but he, it, 
at the end of it, he's he's really looked making Kabuki look good as far as when he when Kabuki is on offense. But you're probably right. They probably should have made it a lot quicker and Horner shouldn't have gotten as much offense. I tell you what, Brian, uh, as a kid, you know, Kabuki was like, oh, God, he's got it spits the green mist. You know, it's like, wow, man, I would not want to be in a ring with that dude with all that spit all over his hands. Yeah, and getting all- it's his hands. It's, it's like almost as bad as him spitting it right into your face. I forgot until I watched this match. He doesn't just spit it into the air. Muda would spit it into the air. Kabuki spits it into the air and puts his hands in the way. So it gets all over his hands and then it's all over the guy he's wrestling. And yeah, not fun. He does. He does. Like, it's funny. Uh, uh, my, my other co-host Lance Peterson and I, we were doing a world class show a while back with Kabuki. And then we were talking about, there's a match, I think in like 82 with Kabuki and I think Kerry Von Eric. Was it Kevin? I think it was Kerry. And they beat the crap out of each other. But, Good God, man. He's just got, it's like, Carrie's like green. He, he like, like, like the great, I think it was Carrie. He looks like the incredible Hulk after the match from all the green spit that he got all over his body. It's just, it's, it's just, he's just gross, man. I mean, like you said, you know, Muda would spit, but Kabuki's thing was at the beginning of the match, uh, for people who've never seen it, if you're not watching along with us, he like would raise his left hand and he kind of spits in the air, but it gets on his hand. And then he raises his white right hand and it gets on that hand. And then he kind of cups his hands and and raises them and like he's almost praying and he spits again. So he's just he's got nothing but green spit and saliva all over his hands. And when you're wrestling him, he's going to lock up with you and he's going to hit you. So it's going to be all over your chest and he's going to chop you and hit you in the face. And you're going to have just green spit all over you. And that's what I kept thinking during this match. You know, I don't know if I paid attention as much back then, but now it's like every time you watch a Kabuki match, his opponent will be uh, mildly green by the time it's over. Yes, Tim Horner here was green in more ways than one. <laughs> Kabuki wins with a kick to the throat. And from there, we get a tag team match, the Mid-South Wrestling Tag Team Champions in a non-title match. Ted DiBiase and Matt Bourne, two-thirds of the Rat Pack, versus Buddy Landell and the debut of Bruno San Martino Jr., otherwise known as David San Martino, early in his career in various places. He wrestled as David Bruno San Martino, or in this case, Bruno San Martino Jr., to really capitalize on his father's great notoriety. Young in his career, teaming with Buddy Landell, a good fire young babyface, and against two great heels like DiBiase and Bourne, really gives him a good shot to show off a little bit in this match, show some of his power moves, but Bill Watts is on fire during this match, Mike. We're going to play some audio here. This is going to be a few minutes straight. And within like three minutes, four minutes, Bill Watts hits on like 20 different topics. And we're going to address each one of them afterwards. But let's go to this right now because he just covers so much ground here while this match is taking place. Let's go to this audio right now. Now the Mid-South Tag Team title holders, Matt Bourne and Ted DiBiase against Bruno Sammartino Jr. and Buddy Landell. Bill Watts... I know that in the past you wrestled Bruno Sammartino, and I believe it was in the old Madison Square Garden. And if I recall the statistics from professional wrestling that I've been in so long, it's the largest crowd ever in the Madison Square Garden, not only for professional wrestling, but for any event. Is that right? I know you don't want to maybe admit it, but that is well, the truth. Yes. Yeah, that's true, boy. And, and I guess that's something you can be proud of. Fortunately, they've tore, tore down the old garden and built a newer and bigger one. So that old record stands because records are just made to be broken. And, Bruno San Martino Jr., there's three men in that ring right now that fathers were great, great main event wrestlers. And Bruno San Martino Jr.'s father was probably one of the greatest. He headlined cards all over the East Coast, Australia, 
the world for many, many years. A powerful man, first man ever in the history of the United States to bench press 585 pounds. He did that in 1961 with a two-second pause. And being a professional in one sport, it wasn't recognized in the amateur annals. And this son there is trying to follow in his footsteps. A powerful young man. And look at him take Ted DiBiase. And look at him take Matt Bourne. And these men come from a heritage of tremendous family background in wrestling. And the Mid-South Tag Champions are out there. And Bruno San Martino Jr. has these people up because they recognize this young man is tremendously strong. Buddy Landell offering congratulations as the excitement and the emotion flows. You wonder almost where is the rest of the Rat Pack? One member missing. You've got to check the crowd, make sure there's no gorillas in the crowd with balloons or hiding under the ring or under a rock, as Dick Murdoch says, because the Rat Pack is journeyed together, and if they get in trouble, Hacksaw Dugan will probably be on the scene. You know, I... Duggan or Dugan, or I can't get his name exactly right. I guess that's not the important thing. Made some tremendous remarks to Paul Bosch about the Brass Knucks trophy, and many people have asked me. I am not coming out of retirement, and whenever Paul Bosch, Grizzly Smith, Charlie Lay, the board of directors of Mid-South want to have a tournament for the Brass Knucks trophy, I, I would certainly love to be there as a spectator. I think Paul Bosch is going to have Houston as one of the bidding cities on that, and there is some motion in that direction. There's several things coming up, Boyd. There's some contention at the last board of directors meeting in Mid-South that the growth of Mid-South has expanded into Houston, Oklahoma, Arkansas, that possibly the state titles, the Mississippi state title and the Louisiana state title will be retired this year because the North American title and the Mid-South Tag titles, the titles that cover so much more of a regional area and are the, of so much more importance. It's not putting any of the state titles down. They don't want to hold another tournament for the Louisiana, for the Arkansas title or for a Texas title or an Oklahoma title. They just feel it would be diluting the championship. It's just like in Oklahoma, they have 120 schools that have amateur wrestling and they have four classes of champions. In California, they have 800 schools that have amateur wrestling. They only have one champion in each class. Who do you feel is the true champion, naturally, in California? Because they haven't diluted championships. I don't believe championships are gifts or laurels just have been indiscriminately handed out. I think that a person wants to be a champion. He is proud of that, and he wants to be a champion of the most competition. And definitely with the growth of Mid-South and the expectancy, probably the third largest wrestling organization now in the United States. I think the board of directors may be making sense, and we'll hear more of that sooner. But right now, the match. Well, there you hear it, Mike, and boy, there's a lot to cover there. Bill Watts talks a little bit about Bruno Sammartino and his bench press record and Madison Square Garden, the Rat Pack. Let's start first with, he basically admits, I don't know how to say Jim Duggan's name, and I don't care, I'm going to say it however I want. A recurring theme. I thought that was brilliant. Oh, <laughs> if we're going to start there because it's, it's kind of funny. He's like, he jokes about it and it's just poking fun at, at Duggan is basically what he's doing, which I thought was good because, you know, Duggan on television, we've seen it. He, he sells it when, when the crowds go Duggan, Duggan, he's looking at him and he's getting side-eyed and he's getting pissed off and he's pointing, and he's telling him to stop. I mean, we've seen in interviews with the Rat Pack where DiBiase and Matt Bourne are talking and, 
Duggan and then behind them, Duggan is standing there and he's looking at the crowd and he's telling them to quiet down. So, you know, I like the fact that Watts is leaning into that and making a joke out of it some more. And boy, oh boy, do you want to go through the rest of what he talked about, too? Uh, I guess the next thing would have been the Brass Knox Trophy and how he wants to reassure everyone he's not coming out of retirement. Whatever Hacksaw Duggan and Paul Bosch plan to do won't concern him, even though he's still listed in the Mid-South programs as Brass Knucks champion. Bill Watts is not coming out of retirement. Boy, and that really sets things up for a year later. <laughs> a year later. But Bill Watts is not coming out of retirement. Yeah, I don't know how to address that other than to kind of chuckle. I mean, what do you think? I don't I don't really know what uh, whether you said it. A year later, we're going to see something. But uh, it just when I think of Bill Watts and the term retire, I just laugh. What about you? Well, he was – I'm trying to think. I mean, I know he wrestled a little bit in 1980 in Georgia. He had some matches, and I know he did in Mid-South. We didn't see him in 81. He may have wrestled in early 81. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and check. He didn't wrestle any time in 1982. I don't think he wrestles any time in 1983. Who knows how true it was? I mean, in his eyes, he may have been, I'm not coming back. He may not have seen in his mind the picture of, wow, there really is something big there for a last stampede. Who knows when that idea first popped into his head or how much of it Bill Dundee contributed to, but maybe he really planned on being retired at this period of time. You know, that's a good point. I mean... You're right, because I mean it's a couple years, but I don't know, man. I, I wrestlers at this stage we're at now, I guess in 2019 eyes is God wrestlers just just never say you're going to retire because it's just it's so worn out when well, a wrestler says they're retiring. And you can look at Bill Watts as a prime example. He didn't come back. He didn't come back. Then he came back for the last Stampede. They did record business, and then a year later, the Stampede's alive in '85. He comes back again, right? And then in '86, once again, he comes back twice. Right. Because he comes back yeah. to feud with the Russians, and then that turns into Watts versus the Freebirds. Right. So it, it's that's and that's what I was getting at when I'm like Bill Watts and retiring. It kind of makes you chuckle because, in my eyes, in my prime fandom in that mid '80s, you know, early to mid '80s time frame, the the retired guy came back four different times, three different times. So it, it's that's why I'm like, okay, when wrestlers say they're retiring, I'm like. Well, the guy who owned the promotion that I loved growing up, he he was retired too for for what seemed like a little a little while and uh, out of nowhere. And then, again, it's that's the thing, Brian. You can't blame them because they do record business with that you know first stampede. So it's like, eh, you can criticize them, but it's like, well, it was successful. So how do you really criticize it? It's just wrestlers saying they're retiring is a bit of a joke, I guess is my point. More than anything, overall, I should say. Another thing, Bill Watts says here is that. Due to the growth of Mid-South Wrestling and how there are now other states than they were originally in, they've expanded now into Oklahoma, they're obviously in Houston, Texas, Arkansas, that because of that, there's a possibility they're going to phase out the Louisiana and Mississippi state championships. And that, as part of that, Mid-South Wrestling is now the third largest wrestling group in the country. This is really interesting stuff here on, on two different fronts. First of all, the phasing out of the championships, him giving the reason why and saying it's possibly going to happen and of course it does happen but then that mid-south would be the third largest wrestling organization in america that's an interesting little thing because obviously the wwf would be one of the top two you would think the nwa would be one of the top two awa was on fire it is pretty the awa is about to have a record year in 1983 but i guess mid-south sports just between that and houston texas and bill watts's mind 
made them the number three promotion in the country. Yeah, I want, I'm wondering, you know, as you point out, the WWF and the NWA and AWA, I wonder in his mind if he's saying they're the third, who he thinks is one and two. Well, I wonder if he's saying that he considers maybe even the WWF to be part of the NWA because they still were at that time. Technically, Vince McMahon Jr. bought the company in June of 82, but they were still NWA members until the fall of 1983. Is he doing that where he's saying NWA, AWA, Mid-South Sports? I got you. Or is he saying that the NWA is actually a collective of independent promoters and that he's an independent promoter? And that even though he's not technically a member of the NWA, that it's the WWF because those are, you know, it's led by one promoter at the top. AWA, same thing. And him because the NWA has no, it has a president, but the president doesn't have like the powers of the commissioner of baseball or anything. Right. That's probably what he meant. And he truly believed it. And when he said top three, maybe he, um, you know, he's, he's saying that and he's not saying he's number three. He's just saying we're in the top three. Because, I mean, I'm sure Watts is thinking we're number one. And when he says that. I was at the airport the other day. I saw Warren Buffett. But anyway, uh, we got a little more audio here, Mike. Speaking of returns and Watts coming back, another person is coming back to Mid-South soon. And what will that mean? Let's hear this. You know, oftentimes, DiBiase is so obsessed with the Stagger Lee situation. And like I say, only until the end of January... And then the Junkyard Dog is able to come back to Mid-South, and we could have an awesome team combination with the Junkyard Dog and Stagger Lee. There's a lot of controversy. Is Stagger Lee the Junkyard Dog? If so, at the time that the Junkyard Dog would reveal himself, who would be the North American champion? A lot of controversy starting off 1983. Well, a lot of controversy, and Watts is setting it up for the rest of the month. What happens? When the JYD comes back, will he team up with Stagger Lee or will Stagger Lee reveal himself to be the Junkyard Dog, in which case he will no longer be the North American champion because Junkyard Dog was suspended during that period of time? And how does it work? If Ted DiBiase revealed that it was the Junkyard Dog during the 90 days, the dog would be suspended for a year. But if it's after the 90 days, what happens? Does he still get suspended because he technically was wrestling when he wasn't supposed to be? Oh, that's a conundrum. I don't know if we're ever going to get the answer to that. Uh, It's kind of true. But I do. It's kind of funny because here we have Watts. He's just being naive and just acting like, you know, obviously he has no clue. Stagger Lee is the dog and he's just going with it and thinking, wow, what's going to happen? You know, he's just playing along with it. And what's going to happen when dog comes back? We're going to have dog and Stagger Lee and man, this is going to be something. And it's just, I mean, we know now, obviously most of us knew back then if we weren't too young. I mean, like I said, I've, I've said it before. I, I knew that was even back then. I was like, wait, this is the dog. I mean, you can see it. I mean, even as a six, seven year old, you can see it's a dog, but it's still in your mind. You're like, Watts is teasing. And you're like, yeah, what is going to happen? I mean, did you think, you know, did, I mean, did you think they knew you knew it was the dog? You were a kid. Did you think Watts and Boyd, knew and they were on your side what did you think when you were a kid of the way they've treated this whole thing i don't know if i ever really committed it to thought but i don't know i i think they were the good guys and they were playing along more than anything but i i say that saying i didn't like really think about it a lot because i always see that 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 goes into a bigger thing brian when you asked that i i always thought like back then the the announced team 
they were they were good. They were the good guys usually. Like especially in Mid South, I mean specifically when I say the announcing, because you got you know Watts is a good guy and Boy Pierce is obviously a good guy. So I always felt like they they were on the side of the fans. I mean, and they talk like they were on the side of the fans. There was there was no heel announcer unless you had you know Bob Roop in there at that at some points where he was announcing or Ted DiBiase. So I always thought that they were on our side. So I mean, I guess. Yeah, I mean, as a kid, I'd probably I don't I don't remember if I commit if I really thought about it a lot. But at the end of the day, I would have thought they were on our side and they knew, but they weren't going to say it. But the one thing that always threw me off with it was how Watts would always say, we don't know who Olympia is. We send the checks to the P.O. box. We don't know who two is. We send the checks to the P.O. box. So like Watts would say things like that that would throw you off as a kid. But at the end of the day, yeah, I, I think I thought they knew and. And they kind of just went with it and were being, you know, funny and being on our side as, as, as the fans who love the good guys. DiBiase and Bourne win when DiBiase hits Buddy Landell with the loaded glove and then Matt Bourne gets the pin. From there, we get our next match, Mike. Mr. Wrestling 2 versus Gino Hernandez with Rick Ferreira as the referee. We're going to play some audio here in a moment, but this was a good match. This was a really fun match, Mike. What did you think? Yeah, they went at it, man. This is Gino doing some good stuff, too, doing some good stuff. Um, you know, we're going to hear some audio in a second about Bill Watts, and uh, he's going to be talking about Oklahoma football again and uh, something you and I have talked about recently. But um, I, 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 I thought these two really, really had a good match. I mean, they're two pros. They know what they're doing, and um, it, was, it was some good stuff. Well, like you just mentioned, let's hear some audio from the opening minutes of this match. Cowboy Bill Watts. On Mr. Wrestling 2 versus gorgeous Gino Hernandez. Should be a great match. Here you have experienced maturity, proven reputation, proven internal toughness. The man with the knee. Mr. Wrestling 2. When you hear him go to the ring, the whole arena goes two, 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 two. He's captivated because this man has got so much heart. You know you can't disguise heart. On the other side, there's youth. Gorgeous Gino Hernandez, fast fame, primarily in the Houston area. A youngster that, good-looking athlete, has all the attributes. What will be the answer? I think it will come down into conditioning and heart. How many times, Boyd, have we sat here and watched youngsters that got too much too soon and failed to go to that gymnasium or got into other things that took away from their physical strength, burned that candle at both ends? That can be the telling tale. My gosh, we saw the University of Oklahoma at the Fiesta Bowl, and strictly in an opinion, because I've played formerly at Oklahoma University and very close and support their program so well, but we saw a team that took the holidays a little too lightly and certainly didn't report in shape, and especially some key, key people to their whole offense, and it gave Arizona State a tremendous victory because of almost the uh, country club-like atmosphere of the training schedule of the University of Oklahoma. So you can understand that in team sports as well as individual sports. Quick takeover by Mr. Wrestling 2. Well, there you hear it. Bill Watts not very happy with the country club-like atmosphere of the training schedule for the University of Oklahoma Sooners. What are your thoughts on all this, Mike? Uh, it, we've talked about this. Watts brings up the Fiesta Bowl and, he, and the whole country club atmosphere, as you said. And 
uh, and how Oklahoma lost. And it's it's again, it's quintessential Bill Watts. You know, oh, these guys are not training right, and I'm surprised he didn't call them sissies. You know, to be honest with you, as we as I think about it some more. But uh, I mentioned this this whole thing because uh, you and I talked about this. This is the the, the famous game or infamous game with Marcus Dupree. Uh, you and I talked about it on a super podcast a while yeah. back, and it's the game where Dupree, he's, I think he's named MVP, and he only played a little more than half the game, not not more than half, uh, but he still had 239 yards rushing and all that good stuff, and he's had injuries, he had an ankle injury, a rib injury, pulled hamstring. Weight gain. Uh, according to, right, <laughs> according to, to, to Wikipedia, that is, all these things I'm mentioning, but uh, uh, and Watts is uh, chiming about they had a, how they had a country club vibe of the team and how it cost them the game. So here we go. We got Bill Watts going rogue, doing a very good match between two and Gino Hernandez, which I, which that's why I bring all this up. I mean, these guys are in there having a good match, and Watts is. I mean, look, this is January eighth. It's just after it, man. He's pissed off about what happened to his Sooners in the Fiesta Bowl because I'm sure he thought, yeah, we're gonna go in there, we're gonna win this thing, you know, and. Uh, we lost, and it's because we're sissies and country country club atmosphere. So I just thought this was really, you know, it's just Bill Watts, man. And again, here we are. We're talking about something not even wrestling related with Bill Watts on the show, and it's why we kind of love uh, Watts on commentary at the same time. We'll hear what he says in a few months when he finds out that Marcus Dupree's not coming back for the next semester. <laughs> but uh, this match is really great. I mean, you talked about it, and there's a lot of little things happening. They keep the fans engaged. There's a lot of little things on the mat that in some ways they're like, comedy spots but they're not because they're actual spots but wrestling too knows how to play to the crowd he's really good in there with gino and there's one point here mike and this really sums up a lot of what you and i have talked about on this episode that i have to play the audio of i'm going to play this right now you can hear bill watts's reaction and the audience reaction but think about what we said earlier about cowboy bill watts and teasing things for a year later let's play this Georgia Gino's got another man hot on his trail, Boyd Pierce. Chavo Guerrero, probably one of the most dynamic. Oh, and he's, let me tell you, let me tell you, you see fire coming out of those eyes right there under that mask? He could have done a lot of other things except done, that. He could have done anything, Boyd, but slapping a man, slapping a man is an insult. And when you're a man and not a sissy, You'd rather be hit, kicked, anything but slapped. Well, there you go, Mike. If you're a man and not a sissy, you'd rather be anything but slapped. Boy, this, re- this really does set up one year later. This specific line right here. It's like he put that line in his back pocket and couldn't wait for when Cornette got there to eventually use it. It's amazing, man. (laughs) Like, you can't... That's incredible that he says that, and then a year later, what we end up seeing in one of the better moments in Mid-South history. That's incredible when you're just taking that one little clip and what's what's coming. Oh, great stuff from Watts right there. Listen, I've been waiting to do this sissy-slapping angle for years. (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) I, I, I mean, it, it, look, we're, we're, we're poking fun and we're having fun with it, but that's exactly what it sounds like happened. <laughs> like we said, and go back and watch this match because we're talking about what Bill Watts said here, but it was really cool in the match. Gino just slaps wrestling two right in the face. The fans react to it. The referee, re- everyone reacts to it. And like I said, this is a really great match. You want to see a really good example of an early 1980s match where 
There aren't any high spots, but the fans are really into it, and it's fun, and you can just lose yourself in watching a match. Go watch this. A simple TV match. That's lots of fun. By the way, the finish, wrestling two, clean pin on Gino after the million-dollar knee lift. Any closing thoughts on this match, Mike? No, I totally agree with you. You said it. These guys, they got in there. They weren't flipping and diving and all that, but they they worked the style in this 83 time frame now that we're in where, you know, they're, they're just going at it and the crowd's reacting to it. The thing was, it's their facial expressions. They're selling for each other. You know, and even like that, they, they had a little spot at one point where I think like two had Gino in, in, a, in a head scissors and they worked where Gino was was working his way out of it. it. It's just little stuff like that where the crowd's like invested into it and stuff. Uh, and then, like you said, the slap, that was that was a, a nice moment because the crowd's like, ooh, you know, they, they're really into it, man. No, no flips and dives, but they're still into it. I like the head scissors spot because like he kept trying to flip himself up and wrestling too would just smile and push him down. That was one of those spots I was talking about where the fans saw it and they started laughing, but it was reasonable. It was plausible in the actual match, but good match here. And then we get the closing moments of the show. Let's hear from the Cowboy about what's coming up next week. Just what living legends are made of. And Boyd Pierce, next week, we'll have Kevin Von Erich here on Mid-South Wrestling. Also, gorgeous Gino Hernandez versus Chavo Guerrero and Grizzly Smith just informing what I feared has happened has happened. A new tag team combination next week. Kamala, the Ugandan warrior, and the great Kabuki as H&H Enterprises and Skandar Akbar team up here next week on Mid-South Wrestling. Don't you dare miss it next week. Until then, for our guest commentator, Bill Watts, I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, saying goodbye, everybody, from Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. Well, there you hear it, Mike, the close of the show. I should bring up once again Boyd Pierce, dressed down for Boyd Pierce, once again, just dressed in, I guess it's maybe navy blue. Can't really tell for sure on this. But I wonder if something was said to him like, Boyd, we're trying to expand. We're trying to do more things. Stop dressing like that. Uh, I don't think so. You know why? Because, I mean, we're going to get into 85, and I think he's going to be like ring announcing at one point. He's got this flower pastel looking pattern looking all the way crazy in the middle of the ring. So uh i don't know man boyd may have just been feeling a little bit you know down and i don't say down but uh he was feeling a little conservative in his approach that day and figured he'd dress a little bit more conservatively over the last few months because you're right we haven't seen i mean you didn't think about those suits we've seen i mean he had like a gold suit black and gold he had silver <laughs> and black and you know he just he was really really beaming so to you know he was he was really colorful at times throughout 82 and yeah, now he's he's just a navy blue. With a, and the thing is, not only he's got the navy blue jacket, he's got the vest that's navy blue, he's got the tie that's navy blue, and it looks like maybe a, a light, light, light blue shirt. So he's really, really, really dressed down. But uh, a lot to look forward to next week, as you heard right there. Kevin Von Erich, they say he's going to be back. Uh, Kamala and Kabuki also team up next week. And uh, you heard Bill Watts. He said, I saw it coming. And man, oh, man, he sounds like he's a little worried. But I guess we got to stay tuned to see what happens. As we wrap things up, Mike, I want to remind everyone, you can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at SuperPodcasts. The Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network is also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. And of course, you can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcasts for classic wrestling talk and wrestling humor the 605 Super Podcast. Mike, 
How can the listeners stay in touch with you and booking the territory? Uh, give me a follow on Twitter at Mike504Saints. I try to post clips of the show. Uh, and I like to have fun there talking some Mid-South wrestling if you enjoy it like we do. And then also come listen to Booking the Territory twice per week on Thursday nights. We drop our NWA Saturday night shows. They debut then. On Sunday nights are our Smoky Mountain Wrestling recaps. So if you uh, loved, uh, especially Jim Cornette, once we get to, I guess, Mid-South Wrestling in the 80s, and you and even Bill, Bill Watts, uh, uh, obviously, if you love him, uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, uh, Cornette has told me many a times that, you know, he took like Bob Armstrong and he was uh, the commissioner as he was basically Smoky Mountain's version of uh, Bill Watts. So. Uh, good stuff we do on the Smoky Mountain show that drops on Sunday nights. And um, we are getting close to the end. We we only have like um, a little over, no, I think we're right at about 40 episodes to go. So we have made it uh, basically to the last year at this point of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. It's been a fun ride. So come check that show out. Uh, we are the Unprofessional Wrestling Podcast. The jokes are terrible. It's not politically correct, but it's still fun nonetheless. So give me, myself, Hard Body Hopper, Doc Turner, a listen twice per week. We'd appreciate it. Other than that, Brian, another fun show. I think this one set the damn record for time. This is the longest. This has to be the longest Mid-South Wrestling show we've done since we've started this thing. It has to be, without question. We've done the shortest in the last few weeks and now the longest. You never know yeah. what you're going to get. You never know when you're yeah. going to get it from the Mid-South Wrestling Television <laughs> Review Podcast. But until next time, for Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!